So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 together. When we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer or in the church, there are two primary categories or manifestations of the Holy Spirit that the scriptures speak of. One is the fruit of the Spirit, and the other is or are the gifts of the Spirit. And a lot of times churches contend to emphasize one over the other and even divide into camps depending on where their focus is. So churches that operate heavily in the gifts of the Spirit can sometimes divide or feel uh, a withdrawal from churches that more emphasize the fruit. Churches that operate in the gifts of the Spirit can sometimes look at churches that don't operate that much in the gifts of the Spirit as being dead. And by that, they don't mean that they're not Christians, but they mean the Holy Spirit isn't working powerfully in their church. Uh, and then those that emphasize the fruit of the Spirit over gifts can sometimes fall into this attitude that churches that operate heavily in the gifts are unbalanced and even perhaps unbiblical. There are even churches that go so far as to say that the gifts stopped when the canon, uh, the Bible, was completed. The gifts ended. It was for the first church, but then it ended. And so you have these camps where you've got the fruit church churches and you've got the gifts churches. And depending on your church background, you may find that you lean in one way or the other um, but God's word never pits one against the other. Fruit has to do with our character becoming more like Christ. Gifts have to do with our ministry and what we do. And the Bible never pits them against each other or says choose. It encourages us to cultivate both gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit in our own lives, and in the life of the church. And in fact, what I want us to look at this morning is that there is a vitally important, vitally essential connection, relationship between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. So I want us to begin by reading, we're going to read different passages, but let's begin by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Paul writes this, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Verse two, uh, jump down to verse four with me. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, 
to another the ability to distinguish spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This passage tells us very clearly, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to every believer. The, Holy, the, the Bible calls them charismata or grace gifts, gifts that are empowered by grace, given by grace. And Paul lists some of them here, but not all of them. There are other lists, but here he lists things like a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, um, the ability to know something that you wouldn't naturally know, um, the gift of healing, the, the working of miracles, prophesying, uh, speaking in tongues, and, and so on. In other passages, Paul will list other gifts of the Spirit, other charismata, such as the gift of leadership, uh, the gift of administration, the gift of helps, the gift of mercy. And, but in verse 7 of the chapter we just read, he makes it clear that while the Lord gives a variety of gifts, and everyone has a gift, every believer has a gift, they all serve a common purpose, and that is for the common good of the church. That is the purpose of the gifts. Now, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church, and if you know anything about their history, they are a church that is abusing the spiritual gifts. They are abusing the gifts. They have exalted the gift of the, the sensational gifts like tongues. Corinthians is the tongues church. If you speak in tongues, especially in a group, you are a rock star in Corinth. If you do some other like working miracles and prophesying, you're exalted. But if you've got a gift like administration, you're setting up chairs before the service or, or helping or mercy you're looked down on as a second-class, not very spiritual Christian. So you speak in tongues, you're very spiritual, and everybody can see how spiritual you are. You set up chairs to serve quietly, you're not very spiritual. Thanks for trying, but, you know, you're not very spiritual in Corinth. And, and they were abusing the gifts, and that's damaging the church. Now, I've been a believer for a number of years, uh, and I've seen a lot of things, and I've seen abuses of the gifts in the church. The first church where I became a Christian was a Methodist church. Uh, it was a spirit-filled Methodist church, so it was different than some Methodist churches, but it was a beautiful church. It was a lovely church, but there was this one guy who lived somewhere in the area locally, and he would go from church to church. He didn't belong to any church, but he would visit every, a different churches every Sunday. And when this guy walked through the front door, you knew that at some point in the service, he was going to speak out a word in tongues loudly. He had a big booming voice. And he was all of a sudden, you know, we're just, you're singing or you're, you know, whatever. Somebody's giving announcements. And all of a sudden it'd be like this loud tongue booming out. And I don't remember if he gave the interpretation or not, but it just, it just, and this is a guy that had no skin in the game in any church, but it, it's almost like he 
he thought he was too spiritual to be a part of any particular church, but he would give words to every church in, in tongues. In my opinion, that is a misuse and, and even a, an abuse of the gift of tongues. Uh, another example that um, uh, years later, a couple came to me when I was pastoring and they were uh, joining our church and they told me how the previous pastor prophesied over them, get this, if they left his church, God would kill them. I kid you not. I kid you not. That is not only an abuse of the gift of prophecy, that is abusive. Amen? That's abusive. Um, when Janice and I, in the Bible school we were in, uh, there were speakers who would come in and give words of knowledge. I actually, uh, I, I'm getting a little distracted here, but there was a speaker who came in that I didn't like. He came after this incredible British Bible teacher. And then this guy comes in and I just didn't like him. I was just, and I was on the worship band and I was, I remember sitting up there thinking, man, this guy is, and he started to give words of knowledge over people. And I'm like, this, this is, I, I missed the guy from last week. I, I kid you not, this guy turned around to me and prophesied that I would meet and marry somebody in the very near future. It was one month later we started dating. At that point, there was no hope. I had already tried, and there was no hope. <laughs> um, but I remember one speaker came in and started giving words of knowledge, and uh, she called one older student up and gave her such a personal and such a, a sensitive personal word, and it was also kind of insulting and that, that woman came back and sat down, this student, she was in front of me, she turned to me and she said, I, that is so not true. And she had tears in her eyes. She left the school the next day, never came back. There's something about the gifts that make them incredibly vulnerable to be abused. So we might think if they're vulnerable to being abused, why not just forget them? Why not just, maybe that's why some churches say they're not for today, they're gone. But why not just avoid them all together? But that's not Paul's response to the Corinthians' abuse of the gifts. Instead, what Paul does is he tethers the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to pick up Paul's thinking, his flow of thought, from the last verse in chapter 12. All that chapter is about the gifts of the Spirit. But let's pick up from the last verse in chapter 12, through to the first verse of chapter 14. Let's read it together. Verse 31, chapter 12, 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable 
or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So do you see what Paul does? He ends chapter 12, chapter all about the gifts by saying, go after the gifts, pursue them, desire, especially the higher gifts. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But then he says, pursue these, go after these eagerly. Then he, in chapter 14 says, pursue earnestly, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So pursue the gifts desire the gifts, but in between, he anchors it with chapter 13, love, pursue love. It is chapter 13 that tethers chapter 12 and 14 to the fruit of the spirit. He sandwiches the encouragement to go after the gifts with a stronger encouragement to go after love. Not one or the other, both, but tether the gifts to the fruit. In fact, the title of this message is Tethering the Charismata to, the, to Character. The gifts are to be tethered to the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is God working in us, working on our character, on who we are, making us more like Jesus Christ. The gifts of the Spirit is God working through us. What we do to minister to others, what we do to build up the church and care for others, and what we do needs to be anchored in what we are or who we are. And the Holy Spirit is committed to both in our lives. So we never want to say, I just want the fruit. Or I just want to focus on the gifts. Now, the reason Paul focuses on love in chapter 13, and I'm equating that with the fruit, is because as you read through it, the description of love is combines many of the fruit of the Spirit. And the fact is, love is the, it's not just a fruit of the Spirit. It is the primary fruit of the Spirit. Colossians 3.14 says, all the other virtues. You got any character virtues? Colossians chapter 3.14 says, they're all bound together by love. 
There ain't no good character that is absent of love. Love binds all the other virtues, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, all the other fruits are bound together and motivated by love. So the gifts in chapter 12, verse 7, are given for the common good, and that's a function of love. Love wants the best for others. And we get problems when we untether fruit or gifts from fruit or charismata from character. I want to just mention a couple of problems that we get. The first problem that Paul identifies in in chapter 13 is that untethered from love, the gifts are absolutely worthless. When you untether the gifts from the fruit of the spirit, from love, the gifts are worthless, not worth less, worthless. Let me just read verses one through three again of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul offers a case of someone who is incredibly gifted. They have... They're fluent in the tongues of men and of angels. Talk about speaking in tongues. They have prophetic powers. They're calling people out. They're telling what's going to happen in tomorrow's news. They have faith that's moving mountains. I don't like that mountain there. I'm going to shift it over to here. No, you know what? I'm not liking it there. I'm going to move it over there. They have faith to move mountains. They have all knowledge. They have words of knowledge. They have all these things going on. They're even generous to the point of giving their lives, being burnt. But so Paul is not questioning the reality of their giftedness. They are truly gifted. But it doesn't matter how gifted we are if we do not have love. The greatest gifts the most spectacular gifts are worthless if not tethered to love. Without the gifts, without love, the gifts have no value. He says the person who has all these gifts operating, they gain nothing and they are nothing. On God's spiritual barometer, They don't even measure. They don't even measure. Chapter 13 tethers chapter 12 and chapter 14. Chapter 12, pursue gifts. Chapter 14, pursue gifts. Chapter 13, pursue love. It's love that adds the weight and value to the gifts. Second problem is untethered from character. Charisma often does more damage than good. There's a saying, it's unknown who it's attributed to, but it says men destroy with their character what they build with their gifts. And that is so true. Reputations 
marriages, churches, ministries are far more often destroyed by failure of character than by failure of gifting. Recently, we've seen some very gifted, high-profile pastors who led their churches to incredible growth have to resign due to sexual scandal or abuse of leadership. And in many cases, I would say most of those cases, the churches fell apart very quickly. Their deficiency of character tore down what their abilities and gifts built up. But sometimes the damage isn't so much that kind of explosive. Sometimes it's a corrosive uh, erosion of damage. When a Christian's gifting doesn't match their character, it, it, it can lead to what I'm going to call the disillusionment of dissonance. Dissonance is a musical term. Um, it describes a tension or a clash resulting from a combination of two disharmonious elements, two elements that are out of harmony with each other. And we can do that in our lives. If our, if our, what we, if the character we have and the gifting we have are not in harmony, it creates a dissonance. If someone is one thing in the church and something completely different in the home, there's a dissonance. There's a clash. That dissonance can lead people that are watching to become disillusioned. If someone gives a mighty word of prophecy in the church about loving each other, the Lord says, love one another and everything, but the people that know his personal life know that he is he treats people badly, constantly. There's a dissonance. If someone teaches an incredible study on marriage or how to raise kids, but they treat their wife and they treat their kids badly at home or absent at home, there's a dissonance. And this can go on. So what we do gifted-wise, needs to have some correlation, needs to be tethered to our character, or there's this dissonance, this clash, and people watching understandably become disillusioned. And sometimes they can become disillusioned with Christianity because of someone's dissonance in their life. Now, listen, I, I need to say, every Christian is a sinner saved by grace. Amen? We are saved by grace there is some degree of dissonance in all of our lives because none of us have the pure and perfect character of Jesus Christ. We are all, we all fall short. We all fail. We all are out of step at times. And thankfully, but as the spirit works on us, we want to bring that to God and sincerely repent and ask God to change us. And we confess those sins and we ask God to forgive us. But um, while our, our salvation is based completely on the finished work of Jesus Christ, that finished refers to the 
the making us righteous in the eyes of God, of meriting eternal life in heaven and relationship with God forever, it does not refer to the Holy Spirit being finished with us. Amen? He continues to work on our character as long as we live. And he wants to work on our character and our gifting and using us. So let me just say this. If I had, if you had to choose between fruit and gifts, choose fruit every time. Amen? Choose fruit every time. But thankfully, we don't have to choose. And the Bible doesn't call us to choose. And there is tremendous power when the charismata is tethered to character. And I just want to consider that power briefly with you. Um, chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. That more excellent way is what Paul immediately expounds in chapter 13. It's the way of love. It's the way of love. That is the more excellent way to love with the love of Christ, to pursue love, that is the more excellent way. But, but it's not the totality, totality of the excellent way because Paul circles back in chapter 14. And how does he begin chapter 14? He doesn't say, okay, forget about gifts then. Let's just go for love. No, he says in verse one, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He's tethered them together now because now they have tremendous power when put together. Tethered together, fruits and gifts have a one-two punch of the Spirit's work because it's the Spirit's work in us, character, and through us, gifts. The Holy Spirit has a most excellent way in mind for all of us, conforming us into the image of Christ and then using us as ministers of Christ. And we never want to sever the two. God doesn't just want to work through us. He wants to work in us. God doesn't just want to work in us. He wants to work through us. And Jesus' ministry is a perfect example of that. What Jesus did flowed from who he is. When Jesus healed the sick, he healed them out of compassion. When Jesus gave a word of knowledge to the Samaritan woman, he read her mail. He totally exposed her tarnished marital status, but he did it with such a gentle, loving way that instead of it pushing her away, it drew her in. Because she could sense this isn't condemnation. This isn't judgment coming at me. She ran off and said, you guys got to hear this guy who told me everything I did. Now, I don't want to get into everything I did, but he told me what I did. It drew her to him and she drew others to him. His gifting flowed from who he was. And that's the force of Jesus's ministry. I'm telling you, there are churches where I think people are raised from the dead, but there's no power in that because the love of Christ is not in that church. 
And there are churches who say the gifts aren't for today and they might be developing fruit, but they're missing something. Because listen, fruit is meant to be bare seeds. It's meant to go somewhere. It's meant to do something. And now you're coming into the gifts. How do you serve? How do you love people tangibly and do ministry? Who we are as God's children is rooted in Christ, which is then expressed in what we do. I want to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and follow this with me. I think we have it up on the, on the front there. Therefore, be imitators, that's what we do, of God as beloved children. That's who we are. And walk in love, that's what we do, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. That's who we are. Who are you? You are someone Christ gave himself for and loves you. So we have the combination, what we do and who we are. Walked out. We want to pursue the gifts and cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now, we're going to talk more about the fruit of the Spirit specifically and the gifts of the Spirit and maybe answer some questions or maybe confuse you more in coming weeks. But this morning, my encouragement is simply that we understand the beautiful relationship between the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. Both are the work of the Spirit in us but both call us to action. Paul doesn't say, just sit back, the Spirit's going to do it. He says, no, pursue, pursue, earnestly desire, go after, develop these things in you. So we're going to talk more about it. I want to close just with two questions as we go to prayer. Um, I want to ask you two questions for you to consider. First of all, and this is for you personally, what gift or gifts has the Holy Spirit given you? And are you using them for the common good? First question, what gift or gifts has the Holy Spirit given you? Don't tell me he hasn't given me any gifts. He's given you a gift. Are you using it, those gifts, for the common good? Second question for you to consider, is your heart, and me to consider as well, is our heart open and soft to the Spirit's work of cultivating fruit in our lives, cultivating love, peace, joy, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. But is our heart soft and open to God doing that, cultivating that in us? Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we, we come to you in prayer. We want to open our hearts to you, Lord. We want to open our hearts to the work of your Spirit every day. We want to be open to what you want to do in us. Lord, I pray that this morning there'll be a fresh sense of 
commitment in our hearts to pursue these things. We know you're committed to them. We ask you to help us to be committed to them too, to pursue, Lord, as your word says, to pursue, to earnestly and eagerly desire. So Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, for each and every believer that, Lord, you will show them and begin to um, just clarify if clarify clarification is needed or encourage them in whatever gift you have placed within them, whatever grace gift, whatever way for them and each of us to serve you in. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will stir up that desire in us and that commitment to cultivate and develop that gift and use it. Take it off the shelf if it's on the shelf. Grow and walk in new areas if we are already using it. Grow it. Develop it. Lord, I pray for our hearts to be open to the surgery of the Spirit, Lord. When our hearts are dull, unloving, proud, impatient, harsh, Lord, lacking self-control, all the other things, Lord. I pray, Lord, we thank you, first of all, for the forgiveness of Christ because we do fall short, we do sin. But Lord, we also want to ask you to do heart surgery on us, Lord, open heart surgery to help us, Lord, to want to grow, to, to learn to grow in the situations we're in, to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in us. Let us never just limit the Spirit's work to just uh, spectacular things being done. We want to we always see the beauty and power of His work doing Christ conforming in our lives, in our character. Holy Spirit, this is what you do. We're just asking you, Lord. We're just laying ourselves before you. We're opening ourselves in a fresh way this morning if needed to your good work in us. And help us to remember the importance of keeping the gifts of the Spirit tethered tightly to the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and in our church. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great week.